Welcome to the FinTech Today podcast with your host, Carlos Cabrera, where everything is unfolded from FinTech news, personalities, and stories just for you. Hello, everyone. This is Carlos Cabrera here in FinTech Times. We have a very special guest, Ashton Addison. He's the CEO of Event Chain, and he is a brand name in North America in terms of blockchain. He's very well known. And we have the honor of having him today to um, shed some light into what he envisions in terms of uh, the blockchain ecosystem and the current situation. Welcome, Ashton. It's great to have you in uh, FinTech Times. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, Carlos. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. And I'm really excited for our discussion today. And there's just so much to talk about because 2020 has just been a fascinating year for Bitcoin and the blockchain space so far. And I'm excited for the times ahead. I would say that it's the beginning of a new era. And uh, what kind of similarities do you find now that we have this huge rally in Bitcoin again, 2017? And what do you think is different between then and now? Well, I think there's quite a difference because it seemed that the majority of the 2017 rally, which was at the peak of it, in which is funny enough, the all-time high that was reached in December 17th, 2017, three years exactly to the day is when Bitcoin reached its new all-time high on December 17th, 2020. And it's almost like it was planned. It's so coincidental. But it really was more of a retail-fueled rally and a hype-fueled rally in 2017. It was in the news, you know, about how Bitcoin was over 10,000. It was breaking news and that it was it grew went up so quickly that it happened to go down just as quick. And since then, throughout the bear market of 2018, 2019, and that retracement all the way down to 3,000, all the people that were just in it for that quick buck sort of got pushed out of the market. And Meanwhile, while that was happening, the fundamentals of the Bitcoin network and the Ethereum ecosystem grew. You know, I think Ethereum alone, the ecosystem is nine to 10 times stronger in almost each of the fundamentals than it was back in 2017. And now when the price is above 10,000, even when it's above 20,000, there's barely a peep from the media in terms of hyping it up that it's going so quickly because it seems that the price is more, the fundamentals in the price are sort of more related now that the networks have grown 10 times the size in this amount of time that now the price seems more justifiable and it's a slower growth, which is more stable. And it's just a whole nother world, especially since the March crash of 2020 of the stock market and a lot more uh, institutions looking for different areas to put their wealth in. And a lot of billionaires and hedge funds coming out saying, we're diversifying into Bitcoin. And some of these public companies going as far as moving their Bitcoin into their balance sheet because they publicly state that they think that it will be a better savings of their wealth than the dollar will be. So it's quite an interesting time right now. For sure. I agree with you 100%. It's not the same ecosystem it used to be back in 2017. Definitely the bad players are mostly weeded out and uh, 
the true believers in in this ecosystem, they are actually they have either stayed or the ones that were not in. They are getting to know Bitcoin and the, the advantages of uh, blockchain. What is your vision uh, in in terms of what you see going on with blockchain five years out? Five years out, well. That's a big question because there's so many different routes in which blockchain will start seeping into different industries. And, you know, when I was speaking with Tim Draper, one of his points was the industries that will first be disrupted by blockchain are the ones that are high cost and low value, barring the amount of regulations that are in those industries, right? Because obviously the ones that are high cost and low value need to be disrupted first. But of course, there are a lot of regulations in those industries that the hurdles need to be overcome to bring in new technology that wasn't there before. So primarily the financial system, obviously, we're going to be looking at the different ways in which blockchain and decentralized finance will start making a name for itself and taking market share of the traditional financial industry. And the other one that Tim Draper points out is government, but that's a whole nother discussion altogether. But what is very interesting so far in 2020 has been the rise of decentralized finance, automated market making and liquidity pools that can become decentralized and having interest bearing loans and interest bearing accounts for anybody who has, you know, even $5, they can now have micro loans to, to lend that out and earn interest on their currency. You know, you can start small. It's not just the banks that are taking hundreds of millions of dollars and lending it out anymore. And as that continues to grow, and it did grow over 15x in 2020, I believe around the start of the year, there was 500 million or so or less in liquidity pools where there was funds that were being locked up to lend out for interest or to earn interest. And now we're seeing it at over $15 billion worth of value locked into these same liquidity pools. So that's an exponential growth through 2020. And I think that that will continue. Of course, just like any capitalistic environment, the good players will start growing and the bad players, which there are bad players as well, and there are projects that will fail, will test the waters and and see where the product market fits and how these products will continue to enter into these markets, especially in the areas where there are people that are underbanked, underserved in banking or unbanked altogether outside of North America as well because these are really global products, how they will continue to grow throughout 2021. And I think that with more institutions getting involved in Bitcoin and Ethereum as well, and more retail investors also noticing it, there will be some of that that starts trickling down into people that realize that they can use these technologies to become their own bank and to earn interest on their funds and to grow their savings and investments. That's very true. And that's one of the things I've observed when uh, when you start using any of the current uh, platforms, you uh, you can uh, find, you know, many Binance or any of the ones that uh, are available nowadays. If you can uh, tell our um, listeners right now the website that you would encourage them to use to get themselves informed about what's going on in terms of DeFi and UBI and all these new trends within blockchain, which one do you usually use or recommend? 
Mm -hmm. Well, I think a good precursor to this answer is that for people that are interested in learning about DeFi, you really first need to become very familiar with, first of all, Bitcoin, and then secondarily, the Ethereum ecosystem and how smart contracts work, tokens, trading on centralized finance exchanges, working your way to decentralized exchanges, and then from there, only moving into decentralized finance. Because, you know, 15 billion is seems like a lot doing a 15x growth in this year, but it really is still in its incubation phase, right? And right now it's down a little bit. It's about 13.76 billion that's locked into, you know, around 14 billion. And compared to the traditional finance, it's pennies, not even 1% of the capital that's in traditional finance. And because of that, there's a lot of speculation involved and it's a lot early on in the industry and it's very volatile. So as long as people understand what they're getting into, I think that puts them on a, a playing field that, hey, this is a risky industry because it's early on and risk equals reward. You know, there can be higher rewards in this niche, but there can also be higher risk as well. And there is higher risk. And with that being said, there are many different sites and I don't have a specific favorite that you know I'm looking to, to plug. But one of the sites that I have been following in terms of which DeFi platforms have the most market share in this locked liquidity and you know what's the current market cap of value locked in DeFi is DeFiPulse.com just gives you a straight overview of of how that niche industry is growing and what platforms like Maker and Aave, Uniswap, Decentralized Exchange, how much liquidity they have locked into their platforms and how much volume of people are trading and how those platforms are growing. Thank you so much for that uh, information. I'm pretty sure that our listeners will uh, check that out. One of the things that, one of the news that we've seen in the last two days about uh, the uh, Ripple situation, it might sway investors either in favor of different digital assets, or do you think that this uh, apparent Ripple lawsuit will um, affect the ecosystem in a positive or negative way? What is your take on it? Yeah, this news that just came out yesterday about how the SEC is charging Ripple and two of the executives with selling securities and deeming that XRP is a security is very interesting. And I think the timing of it is it's timely because the SEC chairman, Jay Clayton, is actually on his way out of the SEC. And he's, you know, this is one of his final blows as he leaves his position, putting this lawsuit up against Ripple Labs. And the actual legal work is for the next administration to handle, you know, almost passing the torch once he ignites the flame, uh, which is super interesting. And it's funny that it's, you know, it's ironic that it's happening to Ripple because part of this decentralized ecosystem, you know, there's a bit of a, a red mark on Ripple because the true libertarians that love fully decentralized ecosystems are always ripping on Ripple as the bank coin or the coin that where the company still owns over 50% of the coins that are set to come out into circulation. And they have the ability to release millions of coins each month and, and sell them on the market at will. So in terms of the legitimacy of the claims, I think that 
I can't really comment on you know, whether Ripple is a security or not, but the you know it's already been out in the market for eight years and it's accrued billions of dollars of value already. And in a true decentralized you know, capitalist environment, you let the market determine whether the XRP coin has value. Again, it already has billions of dollars in value on there. So I'm just hoping that whatever the the final result is of this, hopefully it if it is negative, it doesn't set a precedent for going more into the cryptocurrency industry in ways that may stifle innovation for other currencies, you know, like Ethereum and other platforms that are fairly decentralized and have a lot of value to provide to all of these different industries and to revolutionize them. So let's hope that if there is damage that's done, it's isolated to and diminished to a small amount. I agree with you 100%. This is a changing um, scenario. And uh, right now a new um, person in, will be in. So uh, it's I would say that uh, our listeners will be relieved to find out that uh, actually the legal work will be done in the next four years. So it's a wait and see situation at the moment. You got it. Yeah. All right. Well, I really thank you for your time. I know that you're a very busy and driven guy. So I appreciate uh, your time with us here at FinTech Times. I hope to have you again when we have a, the time and the, uh, a new, um, any new developments in blockchain that you could like to comment on. And thank you so much, Aston, for your time and we'll be in touch. Thanks, Carlos. Have a great day. You too.